Welcome to C3 Church, Queen's Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. preach and he said repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near and said in Luke 4:43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God for I was sent for this purpose so if that was Jesus purpose then that's our purpose and that's why it's so important that we're spending this time having a look at what is the kingdom of God because that's actually what Jesus came to preach what he brought when he came to earth so the kingdom, why he came, it's opposite to the earthly kingdom. Yeah. Last week we looked at the upside down kingdom and some of the ways that our world is different to how we live in the spiritual kingdom. So our world today is full of speed. So we assume that slow or waiting is bad. Jesus never hurried. He did what the Father showed him to do. Our world is full of convenience and entitlement. I want it and I want it now. So we think that hard work or struggle is considered bad, but we know in God's kingdom, these build patience, persistence, endurance, and maturity and growth. And shortcuts lead to immaturity and a lack of flourishing. The world is full of entertainment, so boring is considered bad. So we fill it with busyness and social media and YouTube and gaming and all these things, which really only a God-shaped hole can be filled with God. In God's presence, when we take that time, we can download. He can give us vision, creativity, and it's in these times, in his presence, where he renews our strength. He refreshes us. And being in his presence allows us to the Holy Spirit to bring healing and transformation. We looked at in God's kingdom, freedom, not lawlessness, but freedom truly comes with surrender to Christ and living within the safety of his spiritual boundaries. God doesn't want our surrender because he's a fun police. He's, he knows that he... Because of his laws, his word, his Bible, he knows that these ways, they bring safety to us and they lessen confusion and hurt. So the sacred disciplines that we talk about, of Bible, prayer, and discipleship, community, they guide us so we know what those boundaries are. Gives us wisdom to manage our relationships and to live life to the full, which Jesus came and promised us for. So today we're looking at a few other aspects of how we see God's kingdom being countercultural to ours and how it's upside down. So the world today is full of nurture, so risk is seen as bad. I sometimes think about the things I did as a kid and they were pretty crazy physically. Some of the play equipment that we, we had was pretty out there. And we have helicopter parenting now. It's like we can't let our children have any risks. They might hurt themselves. And they're missing some of the skills that are really important. There's this obsession with keeping safe, especially physically, and not taking risks. But that's not what the kingdom of God is like. All through the Bible, there's these risk-averse people, such as Gideon, taking up the challenge from God, stepping out in boldness, taking a risk. Because we, kingdom people, we're called to a walk of faith. Good, glad we got some aliens there, absolutely. From fighting physical battles 
even those that seemed unwinnable, moving to different lands when God called them, standing up to injustice, to speaking boldly when the Spirit came upon them, to using gifts that God had given them. This is always a faith stretch, as it is for us. In God's kingdom, faith is the currency of heaven. It's not money, begging, pleading, wishing, hoping. These things don't bring God's attention to us, doing good works, but we live by faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. And Hebrews 11.16 puts it like this. Without faith living within us, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. For we come in faith, knowing that he is real, and he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. We can look at people moving in faith under the anointing and not realise the battles that they have been through or going through, the intimidation that they are facing, insecurities, feelings of inadequacy. They are so human and vulnerable, just like us, but they are pushing through and doing it anyway. As a pastor for many years, I've been honoured to have the privilege of meeting some incredible ministers of the gospel, prophets, worship leaders, evangelists, and they are all human and they all deal with the same doubts that we do. I might be driving them home after they've ministered to me and they're like, was that okay? Was that okay? Did that Like, yes, that was awesome. That was powerful in God. Because, you know, we've all got those little human doubts. Was that okay? You know? <laughs> They just kept pushing through those, tapping into God and stepping out in faith, out of their comfort zone, not of their own, for their own fame and notoriety, but because they want to give God the glory. I know for me, you know, um, often I feel God asking me to move in a prophetic sense and in a prophetic word, and I'll say, God, can you just give me the big picture? And he's like, no, you do that one word or that one little phrase. I'm like, it'd be really helpful if you gave me... It's like, no, once you start, you'll get the rest. I don't like that. That is so out of my comfort zone. I would much rather have that whole download, but that, for me, isn't how it works. Some people see pictures and see it a different way, but for me, it's scary and it's intimidating. Why is that? Because we don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> None of us want to fail or seem weak. But the amazing thing about God's kingdom, the upside down kingdom, is that when we feel weak and we allow him to move, he is strong. Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And God's kingdom is upside down. When we are weak, he is strong. Human nature's way is to be proud and try to seem like we have it all together. But in the Beatitudes, Jesus taught, Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like I didn't see that little bit of the phrase until this week. So poor in spirit probably means something that we would um, see in our time. It actually means people who recognise their own spiritual poverty, their need for God. Hello, that's me. Anyone else? This concept, acknowledging our lack and weakness and need for God's help, was so foreign to people of that day and so opposite to the culture that they were living in, the way they lived their lives. Human nature, we want to lie to cover up our faults, pretend that we've got it all together, fake it till we make it, but the Bible says the truth will set us free. Yeah. What, what truth? The truth of God's word, the Bible. We look at it, and it's like a mirror letting us know how we're going. If there's some things that we need tweaking, like, oh, you've got a little bit hidden. Yeah. 
spiritually we have a look and that helps us to realign and see where we're at. We don't want to show lack in who we are or how we live our lives. We don't want to be vulnerable or embarrassed, unsuccessful or found lacking. We don't want to admit our weaknesses. But you know, it's those raw testimonies of how God came through for people in their areas of weaknesses that encourage other Christians when they're going through battles. Also in the world, there's a perception and a comparison. We've got to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, my dad's a pastor and he used to tell this joke. Um, the, wife, the wife said to her husband, Mr. Jones over the road, he always gives his wife flowers. Why don't you do that? He goes, well, I actually don't know her that well. <laughs> <laughs> Our social status may be affected. We can look at people's social media accounts compare our day-to-day grind with their highlight reel, <laughs> even the staged ones. I remember um, one of the most well-known pastors in the world, he was making a joke about himself, he said, I was setting up for this Instagram post for my preach. Here I am doing my preach prep, so I spread out these books and then I put this other one that I wasn't even using because it looked really, you know, like I was really intelligent. And I took this photo and went, wait a minute, what's that all about? That's not... Well, that's not what's going on here. Look at me, I'm studying the word of God. We want to be so careful to be genuine in who we are, sincere, honest, humble. And we want to be comfortable in our own skin. Because each of us, as we said in a preach a couple of weeks ago, each of us was formed in our mother's womb to be who we were called to be. Fearfully and wonderfully made with the spiritual gifts the heart, the ability, the personality and the experiences we need to minister to others, to run the race set before us. It's to stay in our lane because we're one body working together beautifully for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. And 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are part of the body, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. God knew and he knows what he's doing. The danger is we compare our weak areas to someone else's strong areas and we feel inadequate or insecure, or we compare um, our uh, weaknesses, their weaknesses to our strength and then we feel superior and proud. Neither option are encouraging a kingdom mindset, a kingdom outlook. In Galatians 6, 4 puts it like this, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. That's very freeing, isn't it? And 2 Corinthians 12:10 says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Now we all know through the Bible that we're encouraged to get wisdom. It's the most valuable thing to seek. But measuring and comparing is not wise. It's just said there in black and white. An interesting upside um, down kingdom thought on this that came to my mind was Solomon. Solomon was visited by God and God said, ask for anything and it's yours. You can have long life, wealth, revenge on your enemies, all those things we desire as humans. <laughs> but he asked for wisdom. And with that, all the other things came as a bonus package. 
which then reminds me of Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be added. Ask and seek for wisdom. Make wise choices, avoiding comparisons. Run your race, the one he has for you. Yes. Comparison is a thief of joy. Yes. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. And that's what the kingdom of God consists of. Romans 14, 17. Kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And last week we explored that the world is full of entitlement, so labour is considered bad. We can think we deserve to have everything immediately, such a microwave society. But it's, there's also a sense of, I'm entitled to be happy. This is one of the phrases I hate the most, just do you. <laughs> and whatever makes you happy, do whatever makes you happy. And in an earthly kingdom, the goal in life is to be happy. But that is not God's way. What if what makes me happy hurts you, if it's outside God's boundaries? And unfortunately, this selfishness comes at the expense of other people's happiness. I'll be happy if I take that possession. I want that iPad, so I'm just going to take that because that will make me happy. I'll follow these addictions and our behaviour and spending affects and damages others. I'll indulge, indulge in porn, but it damages my expectations and relationships, um, and even in marriage, it damages that. I'll be happy, happy if I play my music really loudly, even though it's annoying the other people on the train, or the neighbours, or others at the beach or picnic that wanted to enjoy the sounds of nature, or enjoy peaceful conversation. That might be a little bit personal, that one. <laughs> it really annoys me. Having a nice day at the park, and then someone's blaring out their music. But it's making them happy. They're doing good for you. It affects our parenting. I just want my child to be happy, so I'll give them everything they demand. I'll let them damage property or speak disrespectfully. Let them act however they want and not put boundaries in place or discipline them or train them. And they rule the roost, they rule the home, and they behave badly and selfish. And other people don't enjoy their company, but they're happy. Maybe not long term. In God's kingdom, it's the opposite. He wants us and our children to be holy, not happy, as he knows that that will actually bring us long-term joy. Again, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So what's the difference between happiness and joy? According to psychologists, happiness is based on what's happening to us externally. But joy is internally triggered. Joy isn't feeling good all the time. That's not possible even for raging sanguines. So how do you go through life in this conundrum? Um, Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife, they've been through some pretty horrendous times. And she said this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details in my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be alright. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. He has everything under control. It'll all be okay. So happiness is a state of mind. But joy is a mindset, wow. and we need that kingdom mindset. So when you set your mind to recognise and appreciate that God is in control, no matter what you're going through, 
then joy becomes a filter through which you will experience life. Hey, it's a broken, messed up life on this earth, especially the last couple of years. Every day is not about hills and valleys, ups and downs, like where are we? It's more like train tracks that run parallel to each other. Every day there's great things of joy and satisfaction, but there's also at the same time sorrow, a sense of something's not perfect. But there's beauty to be found in all life and it's inseparable and it can't just be one or the other. We're never going to have the perfect day. We're never going to have a day where there's nothing good going on. Jeremiah 31, 25. For I have given rest to the weary and joy to the sorrowing. So to focus on joy is a choice. Joy is more than a feeling. It starts with a new way of thinking that changes how we respond to the trials in our lives. You know, James says, count it all joy. Easier said than done. <laughs> For me, it's about being content in whatever season or circumstance I find myself in because I trust God and I want his will to be done. I know that he has a good purpose and a plan for my life and praise him in all situations, all circumstances. It's not about happy feelings, but it's confidence and trust in him. We don't feel like praising and rejoicing in the Lord always, especially when our circumstances don't appear good, but we make a choice. Rejoice and be grateful and thankful even in hard times. It says um, praise is like the gateway, our passport to his presence where there is joy. <laughs> so there's some practical things that we can do because the Bible tells us, Psalm 15, sorry, Psalm 51, 12, that he can restore to us the joy of our salvation. Take time to remember when you were born again and saved that peace and that joy that entered into your world. Yeah. How grateful you were that you had been saved. You've gone from, had that veil removed, you've gone from one kingdom of darkness into kingdom of light. Yeah. Just that incredible gratefulness yeah. and understanding of how you had been saved. It's great to go back and remember that. We can focus, as it says in Philippians 4, on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and admirable. We can focus on anything excellent or praiseworthy. Think on these things. I think our human nature just looks at the negative and we go down in a downward spiral. We don't need to be publicising our misery on social media, trying to get sympathy and attention. Oh, you know, it's been really bad. I wouldn't believe. Oh, DM me, babe. Tell me all about it. Just don't do that. Another pet. Little personal pet peeve. <laughs> Change your mindset. Remember that God is good all the time. Amen. What the enemy intended for evil, God will turn around for good so many are saved. Consider that during this trial, if you allow him, God will bring you to a new level of maturity and growth from glory to glory to be more like him. Come into his presence. We've got prayer, Bible, worship, his community. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Enter his gate with thanksgiving. Consider his incredible kindness. Celebrate how great and powerful God is, and you will experience his joy. Read through past prayer journals from your personal prayer. 
or from your connect group over the last months and years and remember God's faithfulness. John 16, 24, until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Answered prayer brings joy. But you have to pray to get your prayers answered. (laughs) Think of the people God has placed in your life and the joy they bring. Thank God for those who have developed you, encouraged you, served with you, and you will have joy. Philippians 1, 3 to 5. I thank God for you every time I think of you and every time I pray for you all. I pray with joy because of the way you have helped me in the work of the gospel from the very first day until now. Joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and know that joy is there. So consider if anything is blocking this, ask Holy Spirit to identify any areas of sin, then ask him to remove those so that your joy may flow in your heart. You know, selfishness is sin, and sin is the opposite of love. Luke 9 says, those who would come after me must deny themselves. We're all required to give up sin. Every day, the challenge is that love requires a little bit more of those acts of self-denial. And Luke 9.23 says, Those who would come after me must take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose them, but those who lose their lives for me will save them. Now, there's an upside-down kingdom thing, isn't it? (laughs) Crazy. Another thing, the cross today is a symbol of hope. However, then it was a symbol of pain, shame, disgrace, and ultimately death. Jesus said that if you live a life of selfish ambition, even if you're the most successful person of all time, and gain the whole world, it will do you no good at all. The way to find life in all its fullness is to abandon your life to the love of Jesus and others. Take up your cross daily and follow him. So Jesus was a man of joy. The word of God, the Bible, is actually a book of joy. It's mentioned like joy and gladness and merriment like 545 times to compare to 150 references to sadness and sorrow and tears. And Jesus came enjoying life. People were drawn to him. Kids love being around him. Kids are discerning. They wanted to be with him. You know, there's mentions there of the disciples laid their head on him. They wanted, he went to parties. He was always invited to that stuff. If he was boring, that wouldn't have happened. Jesus is joy. But he's also described in Isaiah as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So he gave up his position in heaven, he came to earth, he played a role, became a man of sorrows, so he could identify with us. Yeah. And he took our place on the cross. Was Jesus happy about the cross? Um, I don't think so. He prayed for the cup to be removed. He actually sweat blood, so he wasn't too happy about it. But he found joy in being in God's will. The joy that Jesus experienced in his relationship with God the Father strengthened him in his life on earth. In Jesus' joy, he was not only subject to the will of the Father, it was founded on the will of the Father. Jesus found his joy, his delight, in that which delighted, gave good pleasure to the Father. 
It was his pleasure to bring pleasure to the Father. So it was the Father's good pleasure to save men through him, and he rejoiced. It was this joy which sustained our Lord through his suffering on the cross, as each shed a couple of those things that he went through for us today during communion. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down in the right hand of the throne of God. The Hebrew word for joy, simcha, which means to rejoice or be glad, also carries the idea of appreciation and gratitude. A biblical joy is not simply putting on a happy face during a tough time, and it's not about going through life with ignorant bliss. Joy comes from an internal sense of gratitude that God is in control no matter what we're facing. Joy comes from being thankful that God has got you. You know that you can trust him. Placing trust in God brings joy. Psalm 40 verse 4 says, Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. We have a God who loves us more than we can imagine. A God who is more powerful than we can comprehend and who has promised to help us if we put our trust in him. When we set aside our earthly pursuit of self, of happiness and fulfilling our own needs and desires, we can enter his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts, with praise. We can experience his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.